Good morning, everyone. It's wonderful to be here. It's always um, a great privilege for me to be able to share with you. And I want you to know that I believe that God has entrusted us with a great responsibility when it comes to sharing the Word. Because it's the Word of God that will give you the footing and the surety in every situation you face. Um, how many of you have ever been on a roller coaster? Okay. So if I had to do a little survey and ask all of you, um, if, if you went on the same roller coaster as everyone else, do you think your experience on that roller coaster would be the same? Isn't it fascinating? We can all be on the same ride, right? At the same speed, right? But the same potential for what we would call some, you know, risky danger, and yet we would have a different experience. So what determines our experience is often actually our perceptions, not the ride itself. Amen? I mean, it's, I think that's pretty self-explanatory. And so life is a bit of a roller coaster, I think. Um, what do you reckon? Are you with me on that one? It can, it can have its ups and its downs, and um, we're all going through the same period of time facing the same things, but some people tend to uh, manage them better than others. Others tend to face more problems than some, but I don't think we all know the extent to all the problems everyone's facing. And um, I don't think it's fair for us to c compare pain because then I think we'd start competing on who can suffer the most. <laughs> Amen. And the reality is I don't think we're called to that. And, and one of the things that Paul was spoken to about at his conversion was this interesting, this interesting phrase. Jesus shows up to him and says, Go to Damascus and wait where I will show you the things that you must suffer for my namesake. So if I did an altar call this morning and I said, you know, every, with every eye closed and, you know, every head bowed, those of you who would like to know what you should suffer for his namesake, please put up your hand. Um, what kind of turnout do you think we might have? You, you know, I mean, if you think about Paul's conversion... He was a Jew of Jews, wouldn't you say? And he even writes, he says, if, if anyone could boast in the flesh, I have reason to boast, for I was um, on the forefront of zeal and education when it came to being a Pharisee, and I was excelling even beyond those who were older than me. Um, and so he, he had a pedigree, he was very intelligent, he was very prestigious, and for him to have given up all of that, I mean, he could literally go to the Sanhedrin and say, I want to chase down, down those Christians. Give me a piece of paper that justifies my actions so that I may arrest them or even kill them. The Bible says he was so zealous that he did just that. That's why he was on his way to Damascus to go and kill the Christians. But as we all know, that when you mess with Jesus' bride, the bridegroom shows up. I don't know, husbands, I'm sure you all feel the same way, but if someone messes with your bride, you're going to mess with them. I'm, an, I'm clearly I'm the only one. Hallelujah. 
You know, because if you touch my woman, you touch me, man. That's just the way it is. And if you don't feel the same, maybe we need to go back to the rules where it says, in love your wife as Christ loved the church, willing to lay down his life for her. Isn't that what it says? So, so when, when we look at that, we realize that actually Jesus, when he shows up and speaks to Paul, he doesn't come and say, hey, why are you persecuting me? He says, why are you persecuting my church? Sorry, it's the other way around. Forgive me. He doesn't say, why are you persecuting my church? As if it's something separate. But he says, why are you persecuting me? Because he takes it personally. Because he is one with his church. Does that make sense? Better sense than the previous statement, obviously. Thanks for your forgiveness there. I appreciate it. So we're going to be taking our reading out of Acts 16, verse 16. So if you have your Bibles, uh, which you should have. We are at a church. Hallelujah. Um, or if you have your smartphone, you should be able to download the app very quickly and just join us. Acts 16, verse 16. Um, Paul is moving with a company of people, and the primary guy that's with him is Silas. And Silas is kind of the replacement for Barnabas, because just a little bit earlier, well, maybe a couple of months or years earlier, he was supposed to travel with Barnabas, but Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with him. And unfortunately, Paul was a little bit disappointed in John Mark's commitment to the mission because they were on a trip somewhere and they were missioning towards what God was calling them. And he had a personal crisis and he needed to leave and go and sort out his personal crisis. And so you can see Paul is not suffering. Anyone is not willing to be completely sold out for the mission. And so he gets quite heated in his discussion with Barnabas and Barnabas being gracious says, okay, Paul, look, you go this way. We'll go that way. We'll cover more ground that way and we'll carry on preaching the gospel. Amen. And so now you get Paul and Silas and the team and they're moving and this is where they come to a place. And, you know, I really want to deal with this text very systematically. So, it's, it's, it's a very important thing to be asking yourself all the time while we're going through this. Number one, do I see Jesus? And number two, am I seeing the Jesus of the Bible or am I seeing a Jesus that I've invented? Because I think sometimes we're not honest about how Jesus was. We want him to be a certain version that suits our lives instead of him being the authentic person who he is, that often I think can challenge our lives. And he challenges us all the time. You know, people might not think so, but I'm challenged by the word daily, which is why I enjoy challenging, because it's how I've grown. It's what has helped me grow in the areas that I've grown in. It's been the fact that the word of God has challenged me. Do you know that there's no real benefit to advice when you twist the advice to do what you were going to do anyway. So, I mean, we live in a world where everyone's looking for a guru or a, you know, someone with wisdom, and yet we have this, you know, I don't know, it's like this whole library of wisdom sitting right here. And this is the last thing people pick up. And then they get to it and they're like, I don't understand anything that's going on here. They spent like five minutes 
And the reality is because they're reading it without the Holy Ghost. The Bible says spiritual things are spiritually discerned. And so we need, to, we need to engage God when we read His Word because the Spirit must breathe on the Word in, for, in order for wisdom and revelation to come to our hearts so that transformation can happen. How many of you know that transformation is a product of putting this wisdom into practice? All right. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. All right. So it says here, as we were going to a place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. So this girl has what? A spirit of divination. Is that a good spirit? No. All right. And she brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. So divinators or a spirit of divination operates in the realm of fortune telling. And people make money by telling people their future. Isn't that right? And is this behavior godly? Right. Now this, I just want to quickly point this out, that Jesus knew his future, but he didn't need a divinator because he had a father. So it's not that knowing the future is the problem, it's the source that's the issue. Okay, think about this. The Bible says, you guys know what the technogrammatron is, the, the four-letter word that describes God. It's found in passages like in Exodus 20, where God says, I am the Lord your God. That, that, that thing there, I am the Lord your God, that's the technogrammatron. That's the Awe Yahweh that they, that they use, that they don't write the name of God because they're too afraid to write it. Are you following me? So when God uses his name, he's saying, I am the Lord your God. He's saying, I am the source for all that you need. Why are you going to another source? I am the source of all you need. I am the source of all you need for your, for your psychological needs, your physical needs, and your spiritual needs. I am the Lord your God. Don't worship anything else because I'm the only thing worth worshiping in the order of value in the created rank. You are just below God. And God will not have you bow your knee to anything else but Him because He's the only thing in all of eternity that you should bow your knee to. And when you read it from this perspective that I've just shared with you, you see that this is not a commandment to keep you subservient, but actually a commandment that honors your created value. Does it make sense? And so this, this woman is operating in divination, and she followed Paul and us, crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now I want you to hear her message. Her message is very clear. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim the way of salvation. Was she speaking the truth? So it seems to me like the truth from a wrong source can still be wrong. What do you reckon? Let's explore that idea a little bit further. I'm just making the statement to help you think about it a little bit, okay? Because she keeps saying this day in and day out. Now, I don't, in the beginning, I didn't understand why would she be promoting, I mean, let's just modernize it a little bit. Is that okay? All right, so let's just say the, 
the, um, we call it Paul's uh, Missionary Project, right? Paul's Missionary Project. And, and now it's on Facebook and all the people who are divinators are promoting this uh, particular page on Facebook. Most people would be like, well, you know, if they're not against us, they're for us, let them keep going. Isn't that right? Because, but now you've got to ask yourself the question, why is this woman who is being controlled by a spirit of divination, why is she promoting Paul and Silas and the team? And it's a very good question to ask, right? Because you want to think through this. Could it be, perhaps, that she was adding credibility to her skills by confirming their message? You see, if what she was saying was true there, and they then agreed with her, they would actually endorse her. And how many times have we potentially endorsed something that came from the wrong spirit because it sounded right? We need to be very careful. Because this is something that happens here. It says, and Paul having become greatly annoyed... Have you ever seen someone get greatly annoyed? Yeah, often many of us get greatly annoyed with taxis on the, on the road, right? So, and Paul getting greatly annoyed. Now listen, you would think that compassion would be driving him here, but this is not compassion. This is annoyance. Am I right? So he says, and Paul being greatly annoyed, right, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And the Bible says, and it came out that very hour. Now, this is interesting. Paul is annoyed because he knows that this divining spirit is trying to gain credibility by associating itself with the message of the gospel and in so doing, basically making itself in alignment with it. So that people would say, well, she was promoting them and they've endorsed her, so that must still be a godly thing to do. Brothers and sisters, all that glitters is not gold. We have to show discernment and we have to realize that Paul did not address this woman as if she was evil. He addressed the spirit that was evil and oppressing her. So that when someone is oppressed or possessed by a demon, it is not that they are evil, it's that evil has gotten a hold of them. They are a victim in the situation, and it's our job to set them free. See, this is what Jesus did. In fact, in Luke 4.41, Jesus does not allow the Spirit to speak. When the Spirit comes up and says, Jesus, Son of the Most High, says, Shush, be quiet, come out. And it says He would not allow them to speak because they knew that He was the Christ. So we do not allow devils to promote us. Amen? Yeah, well, I, I, I hope that this is Useful information to you because this is what Jesus did in his ministry. Jesus would not allow demons to promote him. 
He would keep them quiet all throughout the New Testament. Every time when a devil, a de- a devil manifests, like even when the multitude of devils manifest, you know the legion, it says, Jesus, Son of God, why, are you, have you come to torment me early? And then Jesus casts the demon out. Where is, does Jesus live right now? In us, right? So, I believe that many of you have the Spirit of God living on the inside of you and that you are one with Him. And so that means that you are in Christ and Christ is in you and you are one. Yes? And so because of that, what we have to realize is a very simple thing. That now we don't walk as, um, I don't know, we don't walk as Raymond or Rosie or Gail or Mark. You walk as Christ. And where you go, Christ is going. And what you speak, Christ is speaking. Because your life stopped being your own the day that you gave your life away. I don't, sometimes I don't really know whether we fully understood what happened that day. The enemy has come in and many of us have made it about ourselves instead of it being about him. And I don't mean to say this to put any kind of wet blanket on you. I say this to you because I want you to realize how the enemy might have trapped you in a particular area so that you can come out from underneath that. Because it's not what God has created you for. Your victory doesn't lie in associating with the enemy, it lies in your convictions being aligned with the Word of God. All right, so, it came out that very hour, but when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. So what motivated them? Ah, who can someone say that louder? Money. Money motivated them. Money caused them to actually drag Paul and Silas in front of a magistrate, even though all they had done was set someone free. Don't underestimate how the enemy will try and use mammon to destroy the good works God wants to do in your life. Don't let mammon be your master. Master it. Did you hear me? Master it. Okay, so how do you master mammon? Do you want to know how? Yes? Okay, you master mammon like this. This mind comes out by giving. Mammon doesn't know what to do with people who are generous. The people who think that it all belongs to them are already deceived. You wouldn't have an ounce of the resources you have, not even the breath in your lungs, if God didn't have grace for that in your life. Never ever underestimate the fact that God has given you resources for one reason only, and that's the advancement of His kingdom. 
As a believer, your only purpose is to advance the kingdom of God. You have no other purpose. And if you invent another purpose, you're not in alignment with God's will. Do you understand? Now, in the kingdom, we raise our families well. We look after our children. We, we are good parents. We have good standards. We love one another. We forgive one another. So don't negate everything else I'm saying just because I'm using a, you know, a single statement like kingdom. There's obviously things that happen in the kingdom that are necessary because they are part of the family structure. Remember, kingdom is family. Come on, people. When you gave your life to Jesus, the Bible says in Romans chapter 6 that you died with Christ, you were buried with Him, and you were raised with Him into a new way of life. And that literally means that you joined a new family. You joined the family of heaven. In fact, the book of John chapter 1 says very clearly to all those who received Him, He gave them the power to become the sons and daughters of God. Are you, do you born, are you believing that you've been born from above? Well, then you've been born from the Spirit of God. And if you've been born from the Spirit of God, then you are His. And if you are His, then you're part of a new family. You're, you don't no longer are you associated by bloodline, you're associated by spirit line. And spirit is thicker than blood, people. Spirit is more real than blood. Telling you now, for whoever is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So we can see that Paul and Silas, they deliver, well, actually, it's Paul delivers this woman. And you can only imagine, you know, because it took some time for Paul to be annoyed enough to take action. Did you notice that? It wasn't like he saw her and then he cast it out. It says she had been doing this for a couple of days and then only did he take action. So he was getting more and more annoyed as she was carrying on. I think he was hoping she would just go away. Or maybe Silas and the team were saying, No, Paul, don't, don't cast the demon out. You're going to cause problems. We just need, we're just passing through here. We need to go somewhere. We don't have time. Just, just chill. Ever had that advice before? And yeah, now Paul is saying, Man, no, enough is enough, man. I will not have this fortune-telling spirit promoting the work of God. Not happening. And this woman is oppressed, so I'm going to set her free. She was a slave woman. She was being used as a slave to make other people rich because of her oppression. How wrong is that? Not only is she a slave to people, but she's a slave to a demonic entity. Yo, that's hectic. So in all essence, he did the right thing. Amen. So Yari is getting beaten for doing the right thing. Says the crowd, jo- the crowd joined and attacked them, and the magistrate tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows, say many blows, upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, you know, there's this old saying, no good deed goes unpunished. And clearly you can see, and not that you should live by that just because it's funny, um, but clearly you can see that whenever you step out and agitate the enemy, 
there will be some form of retaliation. And just because there is retaliation doesn't mean it's godly. Isn't that right? So we can see very clearly that Paul did the right thing and now he's suffering the consequences of doing the right thing and he is in prison and you can imagine Silas is next to him, right? And he's saying, Paul, I told you, leave her alone. Right? Wouldn't you be like, if you were Silas and you're sitting there next to Paul, you'd be like, Paul, you know, I just wish sometimes you would just listen. You know? You know, just, just chill out, you know? We didn't have to deal with it there and then. We could have dealt with it differently. There's always someone who's going to, uh, you know, say they could have done it better. But you're going to be the person there, so you're going to have to do what you can. Amen? So the reality is, Silas is sitting there saying, you know, Paul, this red stuff that's on my back is supposed to be inside my body. It's not supposed to be on my back. It's supposed to be inside my body. And you can imagine that maybe there was some kind of disgruntlement because of what had just happened. And Silas, I'm sure, was very respectful. We don't have too much detail. So I am using a bit of creative license. But in general, when people do the right thing and all hell breaks loose in their life, the first thing they say is, God, why are you doing this to me? But he had nothing to do with that. They were put in prison because the spirit of mammon decided to retaliate on behalf of the spirit of divination. So you need to know how to navigate this world of retaliation so to where every time the enemy throws another jab at you, you are able to punch back in such a way that it just completely obliterates what he's doing. Um, I'm, I want to show you because this is how Jesus operated. They were going to throw Jesus off a cliff. And he's like, well, that was nice. Sorry, guys, not my time. I'm, I'm going to go now. And he just walked through them. Are you with me? So, so it's important that we understand the, this mechanism that we see here because so often we find ourselves with our feet in the stocks. I mean, there's this thing Paul writes, he says, all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will face persecution. Do you think that that is just a suggestion? Or do you think that that's been the ultimate experience? Jesus faced persecution, the prophets before Jesus faced persecution, and um, I think it would be silly for us to think we're not going to face it. Amen? And so we, we face persecution. The enemy will always retaliate against good works in order to try and teach you that good works are painful and so you shouldn't do them. I mean, if you put your hand on the stove and it burns your hand, would you put your hand on the stove again? So if the devil can create this illusion that every time you do something good, something bad happens, then he'll train you to no longer do any good to try and protect yourself. But when you realize that you're already dead, then there's no need for you to protect yourself because not only have you died, but you've been, re you've been resurrected with Christ and you now have a new life, so it's no longer about you. It's actually more about Him and what He wants to do, reaching others. 
And so what if our biggest problem is that we are too focused on our problems and not focused on the solution that we've already received? And what if by being more concerned about demonstrating the solution to others, the problems we think are so huge that have already been dealt with will just work themselves out because Christ is in you and is the hope of glory? Now, I want to show you, because in this prison cell, you could imagine much need for complaining. Am I right? If you had just been beaten with many blows, would you not be like, come on, Paul, this is so unnecessary. What is going on here? Isn't you, you Complaining is easy. But watch what happens. It says, in about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. What's easy, you know, you come on a nice Sunday morning, come sing some nice worship songs, and you know, God will meet you. It's awesome. I enjoy it just as much as you do. But if you've just been beaten down, and you're in the stocks, in the middle of a prison, with no way out, yo, hallelujah. Or is it more like, oh my goodness. This is very important, guys, because so often our default is to complain, and I believe that's what the enemy wants, because the minute you enter into complaining, you're no longer in the state of a thankful heart, and it's a thankful heart that brings the abundance. It's not the complaining heart. If you look at the children of Israel, the reason why God called them stiff-necked and always going away from his ways is because all they did was complain. They were never satisfied with anything. They would always say, did God bring us out here to die? And God's like, yeah, that's why I brought you out here. Die, just, just die. He was about to do that. Do you know that? He was about to say, no, I'm, that's it. That's why I brought you out here to die. So you're going to die now. And Moses is like, Lord, wait. Isn't that right? It's like, no, 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 no. Just wait, just wait, just wait. Lord, listen, your reputation is at stake here. If you kill them, then everyone say, that's exactly what you intended to do from the beginning. And God's like, okay, you got a good point. I won't do it. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? To have that kind of relationship with God? That kind of interactive relationship with God? Do you know that Moses had to be in the tent of meeting to be able to see God face to face? And now you are the tent of meeting? Like, do you know, like, the upgrade you have? Oh, my word. Jesus, help me. So Paul had all reason to complain about the situation. After all, he had done the will of God. But instead, he knew that that would be playing into the devil's plan. So there he is in the prison, and they're praying and worshiping God. And in the, they're doing this at midnight, guys. You know, the only thing people do these days at midnight is scroll through their Facebook feed. And yeah, they are at midnight praising God and praying. And the Bible says that the foundations of the prison shook. Yo. And the chains came off of everybody. 
So here they are. And so what do you do when the enemy retaliates against your good works? You enter praise. You enter praise. You go from asking to thanking. You go, you don't beg. You thank God for what he's done. In and through you. You begin to praise. Are you with me? Because the victory is in the praise. Are you with me? Okay, you have a hymn in your heart. You have, you have his word on your mouth. You're thanking him. You're shifting gears. You're like, okay, you want to play this game. I know where my power comes from. Boom. The Bible says that the joy of the Lord is your strength. And you enter his courts with thanksgiving and praise. So the reality is if you have a thankful heart and a praise, a heart full of praise, you are directly connected to the finished work of the cross. Because I can tell you now, all of Zion isn't moping, it is celebrating because Jesus is already king. Are you enjoying this? James chapter 1 tells us very clearly, count it all joy, my brothers. Yo, yo, yo. When you face trials of various kinds. Now last time you faced a trial, did you frown or did you smile? Because the reason why James is writing this is because he is saying, hey, whenever this happens, you know the devil is up to something. He wants to see, do you believe what you say you believe? He wants to see. Are you going to stick to the word or are you going to back off? Which one's it going to be? Because watch what it says here. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith. So that means, what is your faith? Your faith is your trust in God's ability that is for you, not against you. Am I right? And so now the circumstance is completely contrary to that which would be equal to God being for you. So there's pressure on your faith. Am I right? So in that situation, what do we do? We go, oh, what have I done wrong? Where, where did I sin? How did I open a door? Is there a window? Is there a hole in my ceiling? Did my ancestors do something? Now I'm suffering for it. And there's a thousand things we try and go back to to try and sort out instead of entering praise. You see, the thing is, all these methods of trying to deal with these things, they eventually end up at the same place, don't they? They end up at you believing it's done. So why not just skip the whole process and jump to it's done? Why not just jump into it's done? Hallelujah. Amen? You don't, you don't have to deal with the process. Jesus already dealt with that. That's all the works. Jesus did it. He hung on a tree and became a curse so that you would not have to be a curse. So you could be the righteousness of God in Christ. The righteous are, ble are blessed. And I've never seen the righteous begging for bread. The righteous are blessed going in and blessed coming out. The, the righteous are the head and not the tail. Are you hearing me this morning? The circumstance does not get to tell you who you are. When you know who you are, you'll tell the circumstance how it should be. So immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open. 
he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. This is what happens when your prisoners run away. They're going to come after you because you were supposed to watch them. Now I want you to see something. Paul had an opportunity right here when this happened to get out. If it was us, we probably would have got out and run. But praise God for the example that's in Paul that God uses to show us today. That even when God brings the answer to your problem, when you get the breakthrough that you've been asking for, that you've been praising Him for, that's not the time to just allow people to walk all over you. Because what happens is, Paul has mercy on the very person who locked him up inside the prison. Wasn't he the one who put his stocks in the feet, in the stocks? So, Paul has mercy for him at this very moment, right? And this guy and his whole family get saved. Then the next day, the guy sent a message to the jailer saying, hey, let that Paul guy go. We didn't know that he was a Roman citizen. Isn't that right? And then Paul says something. He says, no, let them come themselves and take us out. He's in jail. And from jail, he's still ruling like a king. Come on, man. You should be a little bit more excited about that. Praise the Lord for you, ma'am. Hallelujah. He's in jail and he's still ruling like a king. He's still telling them, no, no, my terms. Isn't that right? He says, hey, wait a minute. No, they publicly flogged me. They will publicly come and apologize to release me. So I want to leave you with this as I'm closing. Yes. Number one, do what's right, not what is comfortable. Two, praise God in the midst of your trial. Don't succumb to complaining. Praise God in the midst of your trial. And three, know your rights and use them for the glory of God. And I believe as many of us here today who have maybe lost sight of the fact that God is looking out for you. God is for you. He's not against you. We've heard it so many times. His plans are that you should prosper for life and for a future, not for death. But guys, I'm telling you now, the will of God is like an open, um, what is it called? Um, that thing at the end of a river, waterfall. I oh, got you all to participate. God's blessing and His will is like this waterfall. If you're not under that waterfall, you're not under that waterfall. It's got nothing to do with God's will. It's got to do with you aligning your will with His will. If you agree with His will, then His will will flow in and through your life. No matter what the devil throws at you, you will have victory in every situation. And so I'd like to pray for you this morning.